Today, please open your Bibles to the book of 2 Kings, chapter 18. If you want to look in your pew Bible, this will be on page 602, 2 Kings, chapter 18. I'd like to preach a series of sermons on the King Hezekiah, who is the king in the southern kingdom in the nation of Judah at this time in history. My goal was to first preach from this entire chapter, but as I kept studying it in more detail, I got bogged down on some points, so I kept shortening the sermon. I know you'll be happy to hear that. Um, So I want to focus on really, instead of talking about King Hezekiah's righteousness, which is the title in your bulletin, I may do that next week, I would change the title of this sermon to Siege Warfare. And I want to expound upon that point in the Scripture. We're going to look at that topic today. 2 Kings chapter 18. Let me read for his context, verses 1 through 12. Now, and I'm going to read a translation where it kind of helps to hit the the verbs a little bit better, I think. In verse 1, It came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke the sacred statues and cut down the wooden images and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it the bronze thing. In the name, excuse me, in the Lord God of Israel, he trusted so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any who were before him. And he cleaved to the Lord. He did not depart from following him. He kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. The Lord was with him. He prospered wherever he went. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. He subdued the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from, from watchtower to fortified city. Now it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hoshea, son of Eliah, the king, the king of Israel, that Shalamaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of three years, they took it. In the sixth year of Hezekiah, that is, the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. Then the king of Assyria carried Israel away captive to Assyria and put them in Hala and by the Habar, the the river of Gozan, in the cities of the Medes, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant and all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. And they would neither hear nor do them. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray you'll give us 
your wisdom and insight into this passage of Scripture and how it rightly applies to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you'll notice that in verse 5 of this chapter, it says that Hezekiah trusted in the Lord as God so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. That's a high commendation of Scripture. So therefore, I think it's really good that we get to know this historical figure, King Hezekiah, and what he did and what he was facing in his context and the darkness that was all around him and how he stood out like a light among the darkness. But today I want to focus really on the historical context so you can see the time period that we're in, what's going on here. As you well know, King Saul was the first king in the nation of Israel. David came after him and then Solomon. Solomon was in about the year 1000 BC. And then right after Solomon, the kingdom was divided between the north and the south. And the north, they never had a good and godly king. The south, they had some bad ones, but they also had some good ones. And here, Hezekiah is the best one in the southern kingdom. Now, Hezekiah, he is the 12th king after Solomon. Think of that. 12 kings come and then Hezekiah. He's also in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is going to descend through the bloodline of Hezekiah. The year that he becomes king is around 740 B.C. And during his time period, Isaiah and Micah were the prophets of the time period. So that's really the historical context of what's, uh, the time. You see that Hezekiah is, is 25 years old. And then six years later, after he begins to reign, it's in 722 B.C. that the Assyrians come in and totally destroy the northern kingdom, and they take the last king captive in the northern kingdom. Now, you need to understand this, that when you say northern kingdom, we're not talking about several uh, thousand miles away. We're talking in the, the county above them, okay, like in Franklin County or something. This is something that's so close to them, right next door, and they see all this destruction against the northern kingdom, and they're right there observing all this for three years. Hezekiah sees this. He knows full well the total destruction that the Assyrians can bring upon his brothers to the north and to Jerusalem and his civilization, his city, his kingdom right there. He knows how they're going to wage war. The Assyrians are going to wage what's called siege warfare. You'll notice that in this chapter, um, they wage siege warfare for three years. That means they surround the city. They cut off all supplies, all food, all water. And they just let people start dying from the starvation and everything. There was an earlier siege that happened in 2 Kings chapter 6. It was very brutal. It says they're in the earlier time of Elisha. And that king of Israel, the northern kingdom, during that time saw a woman complaining and griping and crying out for help. And the king said, what's troubling you, woman? And she said, this woman, my neighbor, said, give me your son that we may eat him today. 
and tomorrow we will eat your son. And she says, so we boiled my son and we ate him. And I said to her on the next day, give me your son that we may eat him. And she went and hid her son so we couldn't eat him. That's how bad the siege was in 2 Kings chapter 6 with this country from Syria. Syria came and sieged them in chapter 6. And now Assyria is going to come and siege the northern kingdom here in chapter 18. Let me put this, put this together for you, though. In chapter 6, God delivered them. Elisha was a prophet. God performed a miracle. And the Syrians left and abandoned the siege. But in chapter 18, times are different. God is not going to have mercy on the northern kingdom. It's going to be a total destruction. Chapter 6 is like a prototype of chapter 18. And it's going to go from bad to worse for the northern kingdom. But I need to read to you a passage of Scripture how God is predicting this and how brutal the Bible can be sometimes in God's prediction. God predicted this in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 52. Don't turn there, just listen to this. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 52, God warned them and said, when you break the covenant and when you commit idolatry and go after other gods, the curses of the covenant will come upon you. And God says, your enemies shall besiege you around all your gates until your high and fortified walls in which you trust come down throughout your land and they will besiege you on all your gates throughout all your land which the Lord your God has given you. You shall eat the fruit of your own body, the flesh of your sons and daughters whom the Lord God has given you in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemies shall distress you. And God even goes on with elaborate illustration. He says, even the tender and delicate women among you who would not venture into set their sole of their feet on the ground because of her delicateness and sensitivity, she will refuse to give to the husband of her bosom and to her son and to her daughter her placenta, which comes out between her feet and her children whom she bears, for she will eat them secretly for lack of of everything in the siege and desperate straits in which your enemy will distress you in all your gates. This is brutal, graphic language about this woman eating her placenta and her children in order to feed herself because the siege was so great. And this is what you see in chapter 6 as a prototype of what certainly happened in chapter 18 against Israel. So God foretold about siege warfare in the book of Deuteronomy. Syria is a prototype. Assyria gives the final type. And now we're here in chapter, chapter 18. I didn't read the rest of chapter 18. I will later in, in a later sermon. But what happens later, and this is interesting, in verse 27, there's an Assyrian messenger that goes to Jerusalem and he threatens siege warfare against Jerusalem. He says this, you will eat and drink your own waste. He tells that to the inhabitants of Jerusalem if Hezekiah does not surrender. So right there, that's what's happening in the context of Hezekiah's day. 
Let me pause right here at this point and, and chew on this for the rest of the sermon for you. Let me ask this question and answer it. What is the historical context of Hezekiah? And the answer is this, that he lived there in the time of the curses of the covenant. This is a unique time in Israel's history. It's unique because God foretold about it. There are hardships that have come all since Israel's history, like we saw in chapter 6. But in this time, this is when no mercy is applied to Israel. The full curses of the covenant are going to come upon Israel, the northern kingdom, and wipe them off the face of the earth, really. And it's going to be vastly brutal. Now, the reason why I'm belaboring this point about siege warfare and the horrors of this type of warfare and the curses of the covenant is because the context of Hezekiah is very similar to the context of Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ's ministry, when he comes to walk on the earth and does his ministry, it's the context of the curses of the covenant soon coming upon Jerusalem. Jesus' ministry, whenever it starts, or when he's born, you think about this, when he's born, King Herod tries to kill him. And instead of killing Christ, Herod kills those infants in Bethlehem. So at the very beginning of Jesus' life, you have a new type of Egypt. Jerusalem is like an Egypt with a king or a new Pharaoh killing the children, just like the old Egypt experience and the old Exodus experience. And Jesus is a new type of Moses who's going to accomplish a great deliverance and exodus. Also, whenever Jesus performs his teachings and his miracles, he's like a Jeremiah. He's weeping over the, over the city of Jerusalem because he understands and knows that in the years to come, just a few more years after Jesus' ministry, the curses of the covenant of siege warfare is going to come upon the city of Jerusalem. In Luke 19, Jesus mourned about how Jerusalem would be surrounded by its enemies and that those who are pregnant and having nursing babies, it would be horrible for them in those days. So I want you to see what I'm doing with this passage in 2 Kings. I'm showing the similarity between Hezekiah's time period and Jesus' time period, both living during times of the curses of the covenant are coming upon God's people. But here's a big difference between Hezekiah and Jesus. Hezekiah, in his righteousness, he will be delivered and spared from the curses of the covenant. We will see that later. God's going to rescue Hezekiah in the city of Jerusalem and in the southern kingdom at that time. But Jesus, in his righteousness, he chose to suffer the curses of the covenant as a substitute. For those who trust in him. You see the difference? In the Old Testament, Hezekiah is spared due to his righteousness. Jesus Christ, in his righteousness, goes all the way to the cross. And the curses of the covenant actually fall on Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. God the Father, it says, did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. God delivered His Son up to the curses of the covenant and punished His Son for our sins. A biblical sign or imagery of God's curse and judgment 
is siege warfare whenever you are surrounded by your enemies and they kill you. This is why Psalm 22, when it talks about Jesus Christ on the cross, it gives the imagery of animals sieging Jesus Christ. Listen to the language. Psalm 22, verse 12. He says, Many bulls of Bashan have surrounded me. Strong bulls have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. All that was fulfilled with Jesus Christ on the cross. But look at the imagery of Psalm 22. The imagery is siege, warfare on the cross, and the supposed, you can say, death or defeat of the child of God. I say defeat because in the imagery, he's being surrounded and circled by evil enemies. And four times in that passage, that's how it talks about it. This is important language. Why is this language of the psalmist using siege warfare to explain the curses of the covenant coming upon Jesus Christ? Well, it echoes what I read to you earlier in Deuteronomy chapter 28. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, God is warning about siege warfare against Israel at different times in history. Finally, Jesus Christ personalizes or embodies or suffers siege warfare from all the evil, all the assault, all of the wrath of God coming upon him and focusing on him. But I'm emphasizing this point because I want you to see something. Deuteronomy 28 talks about that as a curse of the covenant. But what did Jesus do when he suffered siege warfare on the cross? He actually turned that curse into a blessing. Do you remember the graphic language of that curse in Deuteronomy 28? God says this, You will eat the flesh of your own body, the flesh of your sons and daughters. That's the ultimate curse of God's judgment. That's the language of Deuteronomy 28. But when Jesus comes and suffers on the cross, think of this. Jesus is the ultimate child of Abraham. He's the ultimate son of Israel. He is the most holy fruit of Mary's womb. And what did he say in his earthly ministry in John chapter 6, verse 53? Jesus says this. He says, Surely I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead, but he who eats this bread will live forever. 
Did you notice the transition that Jesus makes in his ministry concerning himself, concerning siege warfare? The very language in Deuteronomy chapter 28 that God speaks about curses of the covenant, of you eating your own children. Jesus adopts that in his earthly ministry to speak about God's salvation. In other words, Jesus Christ takes the curse and turns it inside out. Jesus Christ basically reaches to Deuteronomy 28 and says, I'll take that language of eating your own sons as judgment. Now you, you've killed me in siege warfare. You eat my flesh. You drink my blood in the Lord's Supper by faith. You trust in me and you will have salvation. That's the beauty of how Jesus Christ can take curses from the Old Testament and the New Testament, turn it into blessings. You see the same thing with the gift of languages in the Tower of Babel. God cursed the Tower of Babel and gave them different languages and spread them out everywhere. Well, in the New Testament, God blesses them with languages to unite them and bring the gospel to everybody. Also, to put this in Jesus' historical context, I want you to think about this as well. Because Jesus talked about how Those who reject him in Jerusalem in 40 years, they'll be surrounded by the Romans and they will suffer siege warfare. So when you put this together in Jesus's time period, Jesus Christ has given the Israel of his time period an ultimatum during the time of the apostles. Jesus Christ is saying this. You can eat my flesh and drink my blood, which symbolizes salvation and new life or You can eat the flesh of your own children when the Romans surround you. That's really what it boils down to in Jesus' earthly ministry. Now I want you to think about how this applies to us. That's how it applies to the Christians there in the early church. Christians today can often think and realize that it feels like they're surrounded by their enemy. It could be politically Those who oppose your faith, those who oppose your moral values, you may lose all the elections to come the rest of your life. You may feel surrounded by your enemy. It may be actually militarily. You may be on the war, some war, and you're surrounded by the enemy. It may be mentally you're surrounded by the enemy, emotionally, with depression or anxiety and all those things. It could be physically you are surrounded by the enemy because your body may feel the threat of cancer or some brutal disease bringing you to the grave. It may be spiritually. You may have a spiritual depression. There's different ways in which this metaphor of siege warfare applies to you. Where you feel like, it's like, it feels like God's condemnation is coming upon you because all the enemies, the bulls of Bashan, have surrounded you. But you need to realize this, that Jesus Christ is the one who suffered the condemnation of that siege warfare. Because the Bible says, the same, the Bible says this, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The same chapter where it says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, it says this. It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or sword In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What Paul is saying 
is that though it feels like you're sieged, though it feels like you're surrounded by the Assyrians, though it feels like all of this, Christ is the one who actually suffered the ultimate siege for you. You're actually eating his flesh and his blood. You're actually eating the blessings of the covenant, not the curses of the covenant. And therefore, when you die, if you lose, when you lose, all those things, you are actually the victor because Jesus Christ is with you. In fact, in Revelation chapter 14, this is graphically imaged or illustrated in Revelation 14. In Revelation 14, there's 144,000 martyrs or people who are about to be killed. They're about to go through the great tribulation in Revelation 14. But to introduce them, it says this, that there was the lamb standing with them. And with him was the 144,000. And they had the seal of his father on their foreheads. They would be surrounded. They would be sieged. They would go through the fires of death. They would be tortured. All those things. But they were kept by the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, His grace, His mercy, grabs the curses of siege warfare and says, I will conquer the world through that on the cross and even through my people. Let me give you another uh, very personal application of what this means for you. That is, as a follower of Christ, yes, you will feel sometimes those bulls of Bashan, the dogs surrounding you, and all those things that come against you. You need to understand that it does not mean that God is against you. It does not mean that God is pouring his curses out on you like he did to the northern kingdom. Christ, God poured his curses on the cross. The gospel comes to you when you're surrounded and says, don't worry, God's on your side. God's not on the side of the oppressors. In other words, never interpret your hardship as a sign of God's hatred. Never interpret your hardship as a sign of God's hatred. Because as a believer in Jesus Christ, God is on your side. As someone who is leaning on Christ as your Savior, God took all your condemnation away and put it on Christ. And so, therefore, as we see in the passage ahead of us, it encourages us to live like Hezekiah. To live like Hezekiah to stand strong in the face of the enemy and trust in God's rescue, trust in God's deliverance, however it may come through, whether he causes us to escape death or go through death victoriously. Either way, we win because God is on the side of his adopted children and people. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you have accomplished the victory in Christ, that you encourage us with your son's victory. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you will give us the eyes of faith to look past the hardship and to to see your hand of grace and goodness in every providence. We pray, Lord, you'll strengthen your people to have the faith that Paul wrote about in Romans chapter 8, so that in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.